start by saying us from Crime Arm Prime Time, our thoughts and prayers are out with the victims and the victims' families of the shooting in Allen, Texas, and the shooting in Brownsville, Texas, that happened this past weekend. At the, t- at the time of this recording, they happened the day before. So our thoughts and prayers are with the victims and the families, and for those that were there and in the vicinity and just have a lot of trauma and that they're getting the help that they need to be able to cope and work through that trauma. We're also praying that the leaders and officials of this country can, you know, come together to find a solution for this um, violent epidemic that we have going on um, so that many more lives can be saved and we can all start feeling safe in the future. So thoughts and prayers with those. But Thankfully, we have a fun episode to kind of get more lighthearted after this tough weekend. So with that, welcome to Crime on Prime Time. I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman, and I'm here with my two best friends this weekend. Hi, I'm A. What's up, guys? It's A-Rod. Emily. All right, how are we doing? What have y'all been up to? Well, let's see. And nothing really much. This change shit, different day, man. Oh, yeah. Malik wrote my final essay for me today. Shout out to Malik. I literally have a degree in writing. Yeah, but sometimes you're already in touch, Kenzie. I'm only slightly offended. <laughs> Three pages for a good amount of money. I'm still waiting on my money, Eric. Hey, you'll get it. I'm good for it. You know, you'll get it soon. Mm-hmm. You paid him? Oh, yeah. I have to get my master's of writing. Well, like I said, Kenz, you, you're a hard person to reach sometimes. Honestly, I'm too busy. I've just, this, everyone decides to have a birthday at the same time. Like, Taylor's birthday is April 29th. My mom's is May 1st. Dalton's is May 5th. Carson's is May 18th. Brady's graduating this next weekend, and my parents are flying in on Tuesday. It's a lot going on. And it's Mother's Day. She decided to have her birthday and Mother's Day within a two-week time span. Do you know how hard it is to shop for that woman anyways? And now I got to go one present, boom, two presents. Boxing's birthday is on Mother's Day. What the hey? Well, at least she can, like, cup it into one and be like, happy birthday slash Mother's Day. My you think dad. just cool with it? My dad, like, one or the other. You choose. Shoot <laughs> a day, Molly. All right. So, with Jarl. Actually, I want to give you all the option. I'll just save the other one for next time. So this one's about um, like a dystopian society. Which one you'd rather live in? So the first one is there's robots everywhere. Kind of like, I don't know if you've seen the movie I, Robot, but there's robots that run off of AI that take over. There's mem- essentially memory control, kind of like in The Giver, where there's the person that's the giver is in charge of all the actual worldly, worldly memories. And then the third one is, there's a movie based off of it, but I can't remember what it is as of right now. But essentially they have to pass a standardized test before they're let into society. So they get like prepped for this test all the way up until I think they're 16 or 17. And then if they don't pass the test, then they get killed. If they do pass the test, they get basically let let back into society as an adult. They said, if you're dumb, you're out. Mm Mm-hmm. I forgot what's all included in the test. Obviously, there's, there's, like, some basic knowledge stuff, and then there's, like, some other IQ stuff. But, yeah, if you don't pass the test, or I think you have to be, like, in the top percentage of the test takers, 
they get led back into society. And the last one is purging for population control. So those are your four societies. Wait, is it in Europe? Like you have to get a certain score on the test to even make it to university? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, they don't. But they don't kill you if you don't get it. I mean, yeah, they don't do that. But like, maybe they're on. Do you have to make a certain? Whereas in Texas, so we got kind of school robots. Mm -hmm. Like some type of memory gift, essentially. Um, third one was test. And then the fourth one's purging. Well, me personally, testing's out. I'm not a great tester. So <laughs> that one's automatic. That one's automatic. He already said I would die. Robots. If you ever seen our robots, Will Smith taught us we can't trust the bots. Yeah, man. Trust. I thought that was I. I'm Legend. No, that's no, that's this Will Smith movie. I thought about putting that one here, but that one's yeah, that's zombies. Oh, can yeah, you... that one's with, like, diseases and zombies. Um, okay. Yeah. Have you never seen iRobot? I haven't seen either one of them. What? Oh, hold on. Time out. You haven't seen either Will Smith movies? There was, like, probably two of his... Those are literally the only two Will Smith movies. I have seen Will Smith movies. Those are two of the best ones. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen The Pursuit of Happiness either, and I really want to yeah, watch that one. Okay, okay. I haven't seen it. Yeah, let's see now. <laughs> I'm now trying to think of what Will Smith movies I've seen, but I know I've seen. I saw Suicide Squad. That one's on one of the best ones. Damn, the worst. Um, I saw After Earth. So you've seen all the recent ones. I swear I've seen Will Smith movies. She's probably seen Hancock too. Like, dude, you're watching. No, Love Hitched. Okay, Hitched is good. I've seen Hitched. Yeah, that's one of was, but. Probably, oh my God. I, Woman, let me look up his IMDb. Y'all, y'all keep Malik. What dystopian society would you? Good. Oh, okay, Aaron, continue. But let me look up Will Smith and let me know what. I'll let you know which ones. I think I would have to go with the memory gift, just based off the book and how great the book was. I would, I would go with that one too because you don't know what you're missing out on. True, that so is like, true. They don't know what they're missing out on. In the book, give it they, they couldn't see like colors, right? They get, yeah, yeah, I can't see. Know that colors even existed for them to miss. Like, you see what I'm saying? They don't know what they don't actually know. They're living. Yeah. And in purging, sorry, I'm out on that. I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a killer. I've never seen the purge either. Hold on, damn it! Hold on, Lindsay. How about the purge scares me? I don't like scary things. Like three hot women scares. Okay, I've never seen the Men in Black. You never seen Men in Black. Neither, like any of the three. No, it wasn't really my thing. I I, I don't even want to do this podcast with you anymore. I haven't seen Bad Boys. One, two, one, three. <laughs> um, let's see. I think that's been Collateral Beauty. I want to see Concussion. She's seen like two Will Smith movies, and not even his best ones. Honestly, I thought I had seen more than this. I really did. You know, to our Shark Tales. I've seen Shark Tales. Because I don't count. To our listeners right now, this is going to be the last week of this podcast because I just cannot do this with Ken's Dome Boy. I really thought I had seen more of his stuff. Okay, I will make it my mission to watch. I need to watch iRobot. 
that that's a good one. And I think you can find it on almost anything. That was not scary. It's about what part it is. You know it gets scary easily. They're not scary. There's maybe one time where the robot like stands right behind them and that's a little bit a little bit maybe scary, I guess. But other than that, it's not a scary movie at all. Okay. Well, I will make it my mission to watch the Will Smith movies. Honestly, I thought he had been in more movies. But I guess not. Is, was that not enough for you? <laughs> I just thought he'd been in more. He's kind of a big deal. He did a whole TV show that went on he, for like he's eight hours. He's a singer. He's been in movies. He's like Chris Rock across the face. What else do you want from the movie? What do you want from the bed? I don't know. I just, I just assumed he had been in... I guess he's in all these like franchise things, but I just thought he had like done more like Okay. Listen, I love I like Will Smith. I think he's great. I don't get in it. Do you really want to tell us you don't fuck with Will Smith? I like Will Smith. I just haven't taken the time to watch these movies. You need to watch him. At least I robot and I am legend. Okay. I am legend like big time. I am legend. I mean, I feel like it's like a pop culture thing, so I feel like I know the movie and what happens, but I'll watch it anyway. I want I want to talk about the alternate ending to I Am Legend, but she hasn't seen either of them, so I we can't. Next week, I will watch it next. Okay, if Taylor was here though, she would be agreeing with me because you know that I've at least seen more Will Smith movies than her. You know, I bet Taylor's seen I Robot. I bet you she hasn't. I guarantee. I she's I not watching it if it's not a chick flick. I bet you folks either watch I Am Legend or I Robot before you. No. Okay, we'll text her and tell her this is her challenge this week. We have to watch these movies. Okay, Malik, what dystopian... Me and A-Rod are living in The Giver because that sounds like a happy enough life. No one's dying. I just don't know what I'm missing out on, and that's cool with me. I like the robots. I want to be like the Will Smith. I want to be the crazy dude who's trying to tell people to stop getting fucking robots. And then they all kind of run into me because I got all the guns. So like a doomsdayer? Mm-hmm. See, it would work better if you've seen iRobot. Will Smith is the crazy cop who keeps trying to tell people that we don't need all these robots running around because they're going to turn on us and they don't have a heart and they don't work properly. Thanks. I don't know. This seems like it's going to hit a little too close to home this day and age with AI, like, propaganda. I don't know. He might be on something. So maybe we should all watch iRobot. I've already seen it multiple times. <laughs> I meant the listeners, A-Rod. I meant the listeners, okay? For everyone out there, because I feel like my, like my mom hasn't seen it, I would think. Carson and Brady are pretty, like, well-versed in movies, and I don't think they've seen it. Must be a small town thing. Carson's watched all the Men in Black. I know that. I feel like he probably watched Bad Boys too. And to watch Bad Bad Boys is just funny. Okay, is that where the song "Bad Boys, Bad Boys, What You Gonna Do, What You Gonna Do When They Come For You" is that is that that movie? Did that come from that movie? Please don't. I, mean, I don't even think they referenced the song in that movie. So two different things. I think the song came before the movie. Yeah. And they didn't use that song in the movie? They did. They sing it in one of the movies if you watch movies. Okay, I'll watch the movies. Okay. All right. You know what? I'm done being ridiculed for my movie taste. Good word. 
So, can we talk about this week's episode now? Alright. We watched Hawaii Five O, Season 6, Episode 9, Hana K.A.K. What did y'all think of Hawaii Five O? I liked it. I I should be in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. I need to wear that Hawaiian shirt to work every day. <laughs> it, it must be nice. I mean, it is nice. I like it. But also, I didn't know how many crimes could happen on a small island. You would think there wouldn't be that many crimes there. I mean, enough for them to make a whole show off of it. Okay, I feel like they didn't make the show off the crimes. They were like, okay, we have a set of crimes. Where should we put it? And they're like, you know, what's a good destination? Hawaii. But also, I guess I should tell you. So Hawaii Five O originally was like an 80s show. Sony's 80s that time period and this was like a reboot yeah I think I saw that like on one of the like like one of the like beginning scenes like based off the original Hawaii Five O, or whatever yeah yeah that's what it you know what kind of made me cringe a little bit watching this show they were trying to put in funny punchlines but everyone just stood like just stared at the act I'm like oh guys that was a terrible delivery guys but there was one part I was like, okay, like, you look yeah, gotta watch this show right now. Yeah, I mean, like any show, I don't remember what season I stopped watching on, but, like, I used to watch it when I was in high school because I thought McGarrett was hot, and my mom watched it. And, like, the first few seasons are so good. Like, the storyline and everything. So as we talk through this, I can fill in some of the gaps, but I don't... Some of the things that were, like, previously on, I was like, I obviously have stopped watching by this point because I had kind of no idea what they're talking about. But I can, like, fill in some gaps for y'all about who's who and, like, what's going on. Um, But let's start. So, they had the previously on. Let's recap that. Previously on the show, they arrested some hacker who was going to help them catch an even bigger player. And Chinho was given a new partner from the mainland to show her what they do and she was quite smitten with him and like if i remember right chin ho was married at one point and then his wife was murdered or something if i remember that right that might be completely wrong but i'm pretty sure that's right i don't know people can correct me if i'm wrong and then adam was kidnapped by said bigger fish and killed two of his captors getting away and then he turned himself in now adam was a part of I think it's the Yakuza. He was a part of, like, the Japanese mafia, the Yakuza. Um, his dad was, like, the biggest player in Hawaii. Uh, but he decided to be a good man. But I think that there's obviously a lot that happened. But, like, the first few seasons, McGarrett was hunting down Adam's dad. So Adam has ties to the... So everyone's like, he's kind of shady. We think he's a good guy. He's married to a cop now. But he gets roped into things because he had ties to it. And they're like, you're still going to be a part of it. And then Danny's nephew is hanging around. That's a weird... Get that guy. So the show's... What? Which one's the, the, the cousin or the nephew? Yeah, the one that played the student that went under... Yeah, that's his nephew that I think was having trouble in the mainland. And then came to live with Danny. So Danny would straighten him out. Our pupper was so heavy. He ain't funny, dude. <laughs> Okay, so 
the show starts and the it opens with Danny posing as a professor. And we're like, what's going on? And then we jump backwards. So, so then it actually starts with finding out that the hacker that was going to flip on this bigger player, I have no idea who this is, turned up dead in prison. So now they can't run their plan to catch the bigger fish. Komakona sees Nahali have a ex- like a heated exchange with what turns out to be that guy's father. I have no idea who this kid is. But Komakona is funny, so... If you ever watch the show, I really like his character a lot. Is that, is that a name? On one of the characters? Yes. He Where runs the food truck. Right? He's like the bigger guy that runs the food truck. Yeah. How, how's it spelled, kids? K. Woman, I'm trying to read my writing. K. M. E. K. O. N. A. It's probably a traditional Hawaiian name. Also, I don't, I don't know if y'all watched Lost, but everyone pretty much that starred in Lost came and then starred in. Hawaii Five-O. So, they just transferred shows, if you were wondering. And then a body was... What? I was going to say, my mom used to watch Lost, and I never really understood it. And then especially when I saw her watching one day, and they were on the island, and I swear the next time she was watching it, they were in the city or some shit like that. I was like, you know what? I don't like... This show's doing too much. No, you got Lost. They're not Lost at all. Lost is really... I love Lost. And they, they do flashbacks, and they do flash forward. See, I used to be in, like, a new season, a new airplane was crashing on that island. That's when I thought for a second, too. I was like, oh, new people got lost. It played Ralph. Don't go that way. You know, one of my favorite, like, mystery slash true crime stories is the Malaysia flight that went missing with all of its passengers, and no one knows where that plane ended up. And I was talking to Dalton about it the other day because I saw this tweet and it was like a plane underwater and it was like, the Malaysia flight was found, no bodies. I was like, oh my God, Dalton, they found the Malaysia flight. But it, it wasn't, it was, a, it was a fake post, the little comments under it. It was like, they have it. But then I was like, you know, for like the hundredth episode, I should just really throw a curveball, do the whole series of Lost and then cover the Malaysia flight because I love it. And I doubt any of these shows have a Malaysia flight to cover. Yeah. Sharing back to the episode. Okay. Anyways, that was a tangent about how I, that's, I love that. But they found a body in the middle of nowhere in a pig farm. Getting eaten by the pigs. And there's a true crime story where that happens, but I'm saving it for a Criminal Minds episode that's more based on it. Did y'all know pigs can chew through bones? I did not know that. Yeah, because I learned about it in a Criminal Minds episode. But that makes sense why to dump a body there. Now, now since it's I know It's a that. perfect, yeah, they get rid of all the evidence. And they, they ate through that body kind of fast, too. Yeah. It, it hadn't been there that long, according to the episode, right? Maybe overnight? Yeah, and then I... So we learned that DA offered Adam 24 months because of his family history, but Yakuza... Despite it being self-defense and he's thinking about taking it because he's trying to make up for all of his family's past mistakes. Stupid. Just take, like, why? You, self-defense? They kidnapped you, bro. So the body was identified as Professor Elliot Thomas. His car was found on campus with clear signs of a struggle. They also noticed his car had been keyed and he was known to have beefs. 
just another asshole professor on campus. They referenced Rate My Professor, and I love that. Never been on it. Never yeah, on any of that. It really did. Well, going to a small school like we did, it really didn't matter because there was only one professor probably teaching the class anyways. Yeah. Hey, I went on to see if someone said something about a certain one of our professors. I don't want to name no names. <laughs> but I went on here. A brick was thrown. I feel like I know what professor you're talking about. Names don't need to be named. No, I won't, but I think I know. I'll text it to you. A brick was thrown through the professor's home that told him to die. So a clear indicator that someone hated him. It's always fun when you get that note and then you actually... And then actually die? Oh, I'm not yeah. feeling, but... Kids, have you got a brick like that before? No, but I feel like sometimes in shows and movies, they, like, throw it, but that person doesn't actually die. It's just a threat. But this time, they actually die. Have y'all a little side check? Have you ever seen a How I Met Your Mother? So, Neil Patrick Harris, Barney, uh, he was talking about, like, some little kid. He's like, ah, time will heal your heart, but not that bitch's window. And he throws a brick through it. That's, yeah. Who came up with that as a way to like get at someone and throw a brick through your freaking window? <laughs> and then where do you get a random brick from? <laughs> they just like lying around. Danny is selected to go undercover as a replacement professor because he has a minor in business from Stetton Hall. That's what qualifies him. Danny's nephew, Eric, also goes undercover as a student. Turns out that Nahali's dad wants custody of him again, but Nahali is having none of it since he hasn't seen his dad in years due to being in jail. Fair enough. In jail that... for eight years for robbery, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean... Makes sense. It's fair. I mean, he seems like he's old enough to make his own decisions. And then I wrote... Is that student hitting on Danny? Question mark. Yes, that girl. Her name oh, was. Yeah. She, she was giving him what we call the freak eyes. <laughs> What's her name? She's been in multiple like movies before. I don't know. I didn't recognize her, but I also was like, I mean, he's not that cute to be like. Well, when he walked in, they gave him all. All the girls gave him the freak eyes. I don't know. Maybe it's because he's. It's that older thing. He's they could tell. And also, question: So y'all have seen Varsity Blues, right? Yeah. Is that Tweeter? Well, I think it is. It looks like him. The guy who acts like the professor is he Tweeter? It kind of looks like him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can look it up. But let's keep going while I look it up. Um, he's on a new show. That guy that plays Danny on a new crime show. Scott Can is his name. Yeah. I ain't mad. Hey, I ain't hating on Russo, man. I wish I was in that class too. A lot of beautiful <laughs> women there. That was another reason why another reason why I wanted to move to Hawaii. Beautiful women. It's a lot of pretty Prometheus. Um, he is in yeah, you're right, Aaron. He and then varsity blues. Tweeter. I should do like a movie thing, man. I'm pretty good at that. Okay, so Thomas died of a gunshot wound to his heart, but the pigs ate the bullet. Cheesy moment between Dunn and Chin Ho. I don't know. 
called the door. Then one opened the door for me. Yeah, I was like, "That's okay." Yeah, there there would be a real corny about that. No one's opened the door for me before. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> like too much. It's going to. This isn't natural. <laughs> like no one, no one just says that. Um, was it Brandon Aquino, the star basketball player that ran out of the assembly? Was it him? Aquino found fighting with the coach, and he fingered the coach. He was like, it was that guy. Fingered the coach. <laughs> no, no, like, he was like, <laughs> he was like, it was that guy. He, he blamed, he threw the coach under the bus. He was like, he killed him. And then it turns out that the basketball player, Aquino, threw the brick. The coach had him fired, and it was going to be Thomas's last semester, which it was like, come on, that basketball team can't be that good where they have the ability to yeah. fire. Percy. Your basketball team is white. No one even knows you're a program. Y'all probably play the same five teams. Yeah, play the same five teams. No one's ever heard of you. And second off, that's a lot of trouble to go through for getting a professor fired, or you can just, you know, get your athlete to pass. Do you think for, like, state championship games, they just play who's ever on the island? Or you think they fly to different islands? I mean, the flights are only, like, 20 minutes from island to island. God, that's the question. That's a good question. I might have to look it up. <laughs> but also, it's giving me big Bama vibes, kind of, low-key. Um, but that's coming from an Auburn fan, for all the listeners, so. Um, financial showed that he remortgaged his house and bought a nail salon where he not only paid back the mortgage but was making 3500 a week which is kind of a lot of money now that i'm an adult i wish i could make that yeah no molly's dad doesn't see that bad of a guy is what i wrote he doesn't seem that bad was it alfie tucker Thomas's student and employee at the fake nail salon? Who knows? Eric and Tiffany are kind of cute. That's what you like my notes so far. We think Thomas and Tucker laundered the money Tucker made selling drugs through the nail salon. You know what they called Tucker? They called him One Buck Tuck. So he sold, he sold a blunt. He would sell a blunt for $1. Which I'm like, stop. Nobody would ever do that. <laughs> Nobody I mean, I, I don't know the price of a blunt, but seems like a good deal. It, it has to be more than a dollar, kids. It's no three, three, four dollars for my truck. Yes, but uh, you know how much business that dude got? Like, oh, like here's a ten, here's a twenty, like, like give, here's a hundred. How many people grow marijuana plants in the U.S.? Especially like now, it's becoming more of a more legalized, I guess, and the like ways to grow it are a little bit easier to find. I wouldn't believe people actually grow, just grow the plant, man. Well, here I mean, it has to be regulated. No, here it does. Like even though like le- league wheat is legalized here, people still grow their own plants. Mm-hmm. But I don't like- think you can just grow your own plant. Oh, they do. They do. Oh, is that legal? Like I don't think that's the part. Oh, I don't, I don't think it's legal though. See, that's what that. See, I don't. I don't think you can legally grow your own plants. You can just I legally buy it from regulated places. places. 
But if you're going to sell it and that's your plan, then can you legally grow it? That's but you'd have to good. register. Yeah. Be- so, yeah, maybe. So, I or a marijuana shop. Are they growing their own marijuana or are they buying it from someone else? Well, this one. You know what, Next time you come to Colorado, we can take go to a weed shop and you can ask all these questions. I got a lot of questions. Uh, the dispensary I go to here, shout out to Everest, not sponsored. Um, what is it? They have their own farmland here. It's like outside of uh this of Las Cruces town. So, then that goes for like three, four of their like their stores around here. So they got their own fields that grows their own weed. For their businesses. Which some might have that. Or some might just buy from like a major company. I mean it's just like wine. Some grow their own grapes. And some buy their grapes. That is true. But. Yeah next time you're here. We'll we'll just go and start asking questions. I'm sure that won't sound sketchy at all. Nah it'll be alright. I'm just a businessman. (laughs) Okay so. At this point, Dalton was in the room watching it with me, and he asked me if Danny was Woody Harrelson. Dalton knows about five actors, and I guess Woody Harrelson is one of them. And I was like, well, that's that's not him. Does he just rotate them through every time they, he sees someone that looks familiar? He's got him on the side. I had to explain to him who Jake Gyllenhaal was. Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah, Jake you might think I don't know movies because I haven't watched, like, a lot of Will Smith movies. Dalton really doesn't know movies and actors. What does he watch? He doesn't watch anything. Does he know? What does he do? He plays video games. Oh, okay, fair. I'll say, well, I don't know what else I would do in my free time if I don't watch TV. I mean, he watched sports. We've been watching the NBA playoffs, but other than that, he hasn't watched. I mean, anyway, so yeah, ask me if he was Woody Harrelson. I was like, no. That's not him. McGarrett and Grover found 20 pounds of weed. Oh, 20 pounds of weed and lamps at Alfie's place and found Alfie at the fake nail salon where they grew the weed. So, yeah. So, when he reaches up to grab the the weed and there's other boxes up there, were those bullets, they look like bullets. It looked like the box kind of looked like it. But they never pulled it down, so I didn't know. Yeah. I can't remember now. So Alfie confessed. He took a gun from a gun range and killed the professor because he no longer wanted to go 50-50. So he got greedy. He was like, listen, bro. This is like 50-50, not going to fly anymore. Hey, man, this tuition's it's not going to pay itself. And you're like a shitty professor, so I should get more money for having to take your class. As soon as I took one look at that kid, I was like, oh, yeah, he's he's the one. <laughs> and then he said that bull crap. I just want to sell to my friends. I was like, bull. All right. All right. We can just stop lying now. <laughs> Eric and Tiffany death going to keep seeing each other. So I'm curious once we watch more episodes of Hawaii Five O, if that becomes a thing. Because it could, it could become a thing. He's like young. It's not creepy. Tiffany is a beautiful, beautiful Women, who would you say that? Do there was women for y'all. I told you. It's mm, well. Mm. The court rules that Nahali's father does get custody of Nahali and storms out. How old is this kid? I forgot. Do you don't know? It, I thought he was like. I think he, I thought he said he was like sixteen. 
15 or 16. So I guess he could still get custody. So a flashback shows us Nanali was there when his father killed someone. That's kind of where the episode drops off, is when he confesses to McGarry. He's like, my dad killed someone, and then they go get the body. So that's an awkward situation, I'm sure, for McGarry. But that was the episode of Hawaii Five-0. I'm glad y'all enjoyed it. No. Can you guess? Any guesses on what story I pulled for this episode? Oh, well, it's not about the dad and the son. I feel like it has something more to do with, like, the actual story itself, like the cartel or something. Something with the drugs. More with the drugs. Does it really involve a professor? It does involve a professor. It's probably like a professor ran, like, a big old drug ring on campus or something like that. It's giving, like, Breaking Bad vibes. What? What's a real-life case of Breaking Bad is probably one of the search things I typed in. Um, because... I will go ahead and preface this. This story, there is no... This TV episode was not based on a true story, but I found one with similarities. And it is the most wild LSD, lemurs, the Nazis. I mean, he has it all. We're going to go through the decades, and each decade we go through, it's going to be the most, like, cliche things of that decade. I mean... We start in the 20s and we end in like the 2000s. It might be one of the funnest true crime stories that I have ever heard of. And that's because no one dies. So I'll just start there. So let's get into it. Let's, I'm going to tell you the story of the mad professor, John Butner Janish. Long ass name. And we are starting in Chicago in the 20s. Oh, so with like the mob bosses, okay. We have the mob bosses. So let's just like start with like what Chicago was in the 20s. Because it really sets up who this guy becomes in the future. Chicago in the 20s was the great Gatsby. It had the mob bosses and the violence, but it also had the culture. It had the parties. It started getting the opera and the theaters and had all the different cultures that came there after the war and, you know, the First World War and everyone moving. And it was just this beautiful, magical place. The economy was booming. Everything was lively. Great Gatsby to the max. So our story starts on December December 7th, 1924, when John was born to successful architect. Frederick William Janish and Gertrude Clay Claire Butner. And the the family enjoyed this culture. They were all about the opera and classical music. Frederick really loved it and they would always go. And so that really opened John up to it. And so they loved the fancy parties and the high lifestyle and the fine society. In 1929, the stock market crashed. And this was a big deal because Thomas Edison's secretary invested a lot of money into um, lighting up Chicago. He ran all the electricity in Chicago, but he was really bad with his money. So he had a lot of money, but then he was just 
trying to buy out a lot. So his companies were valued at $500 million, but he really only had $27 million in equity. So when the Depression hit, he really collapsed. And the problem was this, with this is that John's father heavily invested in, in Thomas Edison's secretary. His name was like Insole. He really heavily invested in these companies. So when those companies crashed, the family was kind of hurting for money. So they had to move away from Chicago to Eagle River, Wisconsin, when John was just about to enter the first grade. So this was like 1931. And John really stood out here. He did not like being in Eagle River because while most kids his age wanted to play, John just wanted to listen to classical music and go to the operas and really longed for that lifestyle that they had in Chicago. He also had a high intelligence, which kind of set him apart from, you know, him making friends. And more than that, what really set him apart from the people in Eagle River and made it hard for him to make friends was that John had an admiration for the Nazis during wartime. Oh. Yeah. Oh, a Nazi. Yeah. And so this was like as World War II was happening. So it was not the time to be a Hitler fan. I mean, he went on as saying that... <laughs> nice punchline there, kid. <laughs> the Hitler bad. No. I mean, he went on as saying that the Germans were the superior race. He was not German, but he agreed that they were the superior race. And that Hitler was doing a good job. But the crazy part is that later when he moved to the South, he was advocated for civil rights. Like, he was being into the civil rights movement. I'm like, which is insane, because how do you go from... That's a really big switch up right there. Sounds like a setup. Yeah. He's a boy. He's gonna invite me to my to his house and he's gonna try and kill me. <laughs> well, people say the sources said that like he really kind of he really liked power. So he wanted to wherever he moved, he kind of wanted his views would change, I guess is what I'm saying, depending on where the atmosphere he was in. Does that make sense? He just tried to survive, basically. Yeah, and he kind of used it to be like, look at me, I'm such a great guy. Yeah, it's trying to fit in, be the be the cool guy no matter where he goes. Except for those Nazi things, because no one was loving the Nazis at this point. Aryans are sure, man, yeah, whatever you <laughs> say. I mean, in 1941, he made a speech in his evil river town. This is a small town. On how he would never be in the army. And he spoke out against the Selective Service Act. And if I think back to all my years of history, I'm pretty sure that was the act that said, like, you, if you were a boy between, or a guy between this and this age, you had to be in the army. Yeah, that's when they started all the, the drafting rules. So he hated that, which, like, I don't know, like, rightfully so. But, I mean, also he hated it because... He thought Hitler was doing a good job. And when he was living in the South, he fought against the Vietnam War. So he turned, like, war is good to war. 
I mean, this is just part of, we're just getting started in this insane story. But yeah, he flipped his politics. He to the poop wells. Yeah. That's where he need to go. Well, he does. We'll get to that part. <laughs> so we're in 1942. He began the fall semester at the University of Chicago, which was a big deal because for someone in this small town, that doesn't really happen a lot. And, you know, he had a high IQ. And it was at this time he started going by BJ. <laughs> yeah, because that name's better than his original name. I don't even know why, because that's not even his initial. Oh, I guess that's his last name initials. This guy sucks. Oh, it just gets worse. This is, I'm totally, this is an insane. Despite standing out academically in Eagle River, he was mediocre in undergrad. Though he saw a healthy arrogance, like he was smarter than everyone else. He was one of those guys. In 1944, John was sentenced to three years in prison after failing to show up to the draft board. So he was like, see you later, suckers. I'm not, I'm not going to war. Well, probably a lot of people did that, right? Yeah, a lot of people did that. Like, yeah. Ali did it. Fun fact. They might know that. I didn't know that either. At least he wasn't the only one. No, he wasn't the only one. It's just... But yeah. apparently you went to jail. Yeah, go back to the story, though. We good. <laughs> so he served only six months with the remaining two and a half years to be served in community service. During this prohibition period, he worked as an orderly moving around to several different cities. Several employers at this hospital noted that John was not a great worker, thinking he was above the job of an orderly. So, do y'all know what an orderly is? Nope. No clue. I was hoping you are going to give us a definition for that. Wait, wait, what's the definition again? Wait, what's the word again? Orderly. No, never heard of it. Okay, so I didn't look this up, so do not come for me, people listening. I'm or write a nice email that says this is what an actual orderly is. But what I'm pretty sure an orderly is is someone that helps out in mental institutions as kind of like an assistant to those. Maybe hands out their their medications. Helps them, you know, bathe if they need it. Helps them get around. So it's just like the classic worker for them? Yeah. yeah more, so he worked in mental, mental institutions, and his employers are saying he sucks. And that's not really a position where you can just suck and have an attitude. They also noted that he had his own mental illnesses and was, quote-unquote, a sick boy. Is he? We knew it. Someone right with his kid. <laughs> but can you imagine working at a mental Ill- illness institution? And so these people see a lot of different types. But this was also the era where they thought, like, they kind of just put anyone. You didn't have to have a severe mental illness. You could just be rebellious. And they're like, you, you got something wrong with you. you. You need to go to the mental institution. But to For his... For his, like, co-workers to see all this other mental illness happening in a severe way and to look at their co-worker and go, you belong on the other side of this. That's how you know you're really crazy when they're looking at you. You know what? Maybe I should give you this little this little sleepy drug. 
<laughs> yeah. After his per, well, wait, I skipped them. Let's get okay. Here we go. This all came up in an FBI investigation as part of his application for the FBI in the fifties. That in the Nazi stuff. So now he wants to be in the FBI. Yeah. What does he think qualifies him for the FBI? This guy's just making his way around every like working position possible, man. To be a fly on the wall in his house, in his car, everywhere he goes. Because brain wants. You already know he he talks to himself. He has to talk to himself. He looks like he sounds like the guy who bangs his head on like the wall. So I'm not crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> I just like I can't the FBI. They probably went to that evil river town and all those residents were like, hey, did you know that he liked the Nazis? And the FBI cut him right there. They're like, nope. Yeah, and called all his references. You know this guy? Uh, the the Nazi guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you mean the Nazi guy? <laughs> oh, you talking about BJ, the Nazi guy? Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. <laughs> Yeah, so he applied to the FBI. I have no idea. That's and that the FBI is really fifties too, because I'm pretty sure that's when that was like starting to be formed. So it's like a new thing. I'm pretty sure that's back when um Hoover ran it. I'm pretty sure that's the correct information. He may not have been the one. But there was like the big FBI guy that was like in charge of it all. I don't know. Anyways. So after his probation, also he applied to the FBI after being arrested. I'm pretty sure that immediately disqualifies you from being in the FBI. He said, I won't serve the country, but I'll serve the FBI. I respect his persistence. Let me try again. Maybe now if they see I'm tough with my record, maybe it'll work out. So after his probation, went, he went back to the University of Chicago and graduated with a degree in science in 1949, just still just being an okay student. He stayed as a graduate student in Chicago and did a 180 due to his newfound passion of physical anthropology and mentor Sherwood Washburn. So Washburn was a leader in anthropology, and we still use a lot of his research today. Do y'all know what physical anthropology is? Nope. Yeah, I didn't. I I didn't either. Do y'all want to take it? Just guess. Guess what it is. Tell me the word again. Physical anthropology. Isn't it like about like like people and their cultures and stuff or something like that? That's like anthropology, I think. I thought it was something about like that. Am I? Am I? Even... No, you're kind of close. One more time. Is it is anthropology? Yeah. So, like, the different bodies of people in their... I can't freaking know, man. Uh, Look, I got a kinesis degree in it, and then a master's in, in health and fitness. I don't, I, don't, I don't know all this other stuff. The study of human biological and physiological characteristics in their development. Who wants that degree? Yeah, I don't know really what you do with that degree, but, you know, maybe if anyone listening has that degree, maybe you can explain it to us. Listen, he wasn't thinking straight, so who knows what he was saying. Yeah, true. 
It was with Washburn in Chicago that John started to develop his interest with primates. As a good student, his as a grad student, his fellow co- cohort courts found him arrogant and obnoxious. John received his PhD from the University of Michigan in 1957 and took a teaching position at Yale where he started his work with lemurs studying their genetic makeup and blood chemistry. So we let this guy teach at Yale? Yeah. Did they not see his arrest record? <laughs> did they not reference Shake at his hometown? Well, more for whites and apses. <laughs> I guess not. I don't. And I guess maybe at this point he was becoming smarter because up until then he was just like an average student. And then he did studies over lemurs. Yes. What the heck? He just the the or all right, Johnny, do your thing, man. I guess he's all over the place. In 1950, he married a biochemist, Vienna Malowitz, the daughter of a wealthy New Orleans physician, and this gave him the life he always wanted since childhood—that classy, cultural lifestyle. They would often travel to Madagascar together to study lemurs. John even started his own lemur colony at Yale. After not receiving tenure at Yale, John and his wife moved to Duke University in North Carolina in 1965, where he started the nation's first lemur center. This guy has actually done a lot for education. And his story is over it. It's chaotic. I mean, absolute chaos is going on in his life. John published The Origins of Man, Physical Anthropology in 1966, and it is still regarded as a founding textbook in the field. People still use this in their classrooms. Him and his wife were a cultural couple, like I said. He was finally getting that lifestyle back. And from North Carolina, they would make frequent trips to New York for Broadway shows, operas, and ballets. They loved New York, but they were in North Carolina. In 1973, John accepted one of the highest-paying NYU chairman positions heading the anthropology department. So he finally made it to New York. He can finally live that cultural life. Society is getting paid bukus of money as an NYU professor and chairman of the anthropology um, department and in his Greenwich Village home he would host extravagant parties for friends and colleagues. These parties were described as Great Gatsby style and above the typical academic standards. Maybe, maybe he's turning to a little mob boss. So look at he's throwing the big parties. He just got throwing the drugs now. Never seen the like Great Gatsby one. Someone's like very fancy like. I've only seen some of it. Yeah they're like really extravagant there's tons of people fancy they look fun it looks like a fun because there was prohibition but also i love the part where they're like above typical standards because most of the time these professors didn't have like money like that to throw on a greenwich village home they said it was like a very nice home and these parties like they would have like maids and butlers and chefs come in and pre- i mean they were like extravagant parties and the other professors are going like well i'm not making that i'm not making that yeah 
It was later said that this impressive lifestyle is why the university stood by him during the drug scandal. And then they're going to stand by this man? Don't let, people need to start checking this man's history. That's, that's, that's the whole problem with this whole story. This man he has all the signs, and no one's checking his history. Record disappointed in University of Michigan for giving him his master's. Yale. Well, same. Yeah. Yale. Yale for giving him a job. NYU, I'm highly disappointed in those in those schools. Duke Ironman. He started in Lamer Center at Duke. That thing still stands. Bob, they effed up, team. Everybody who hired this man effed up. But it's crazy because, like, okay, if you go back to his childhood, Nazi supporter. But if you skip forward a few years when he's living in the South, civil rights advocate and hated the Vietnam War. So maybe that's just growth as a person. I don't know. Nah, F that. It's too late. It's too Stop late. It. I feel like when you start supporting the Nazi, that's something you can't come back from. I don't care how young he was. He yeah. can't come back from that. Yeah. And obviously, he was during wartime. It's not like some kid nowadays that's like, oh, the Nazis were so cool. And you're like, can you don't really even know? And you're just saying that to, because you think you're cool and different for saying it. I was during the war. He was, yeah. What's wrong with you, John? So despite having an arrogant and abrasive personality with colleagues, the anthropology department at NYU continued to grow. So he was doing his job, but absolutely everyone hated him. Even some students. Like, he was the professor that literally just pissed everyone off. Because he had that, like, arrogant personality where he was like, well, I'm obviously the smartest person here. All of you are below me. Like, you're not better than me. You don't know everything I do. And he, like would pick at people and i read somewhere that he would like find out people's weaknesses and use them against him that he was like described as a bully in 19th but he's doing his job because hey no everyone wants to study anthropology with this guy you know i'm sure no one wanted to study anthropology before then so he's doing a good job in 1977 his wife died um then the national Science Foundation cut off his funding for Lemur research, all of which is what is expected to... Oh, a minute. I didn't write this good. So his funding was cut off. His wife died all at the same time. And this is what was suspected that caused him to start making drugs. And he hit that midlife crisis. Terrible things happened. And he decided to cope by making drugs. At this time, he also came out as a bisexual man. Now he's bisexual. See, this is what I'm saying. Through the decades, we're now in the 70s and 80s. It's like the most cliche things of decades. And, and let's get this straight. Ain't nothing wrong being bisexual. No, absolutely not. Do your thing, man. Do your thing. So, and, and I'm only bringing up, I want to clarify for those listening. I'm only bringing up his sexuality because it comes back uh, in a bigger part later. So it's important to know now for a part later. I'm not just calling him out. On his sexuality. In February of 1979, a student approached another anthropology professor, Clifford Jolly, that's a fun name, about suspicions that John was using the students to help make him, to help make drugs in the NYU lab. So this kid goes to another professor who's like, low key, I think the chairman is making these other kids make drugs. And there's speculation of whether or not the kids knew what they were making or not. 
I mean, it's smart. Help me get a good grade. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. They didn't necessarily know they were making drugs. So, but when I read that, I was like, okay, what do you think? What do they think they're doing then? I mean, yeah, deny, deny, deny. You can't be a snitch out here, tense. Can't nobody's wrong. Look at the pamulet. It's smart. It looks like it's for for meth. But you said to make it anyways. So go ahead, make. So instead of going to the police, the professor and the students spent the next few months collecting evidence. They decided that they were going to be the police by taking notes, recording conversations, photographing materials, and taking samples. That's how you get killed. How does a professor, does this kid come to you and be like, I think this other professor is making drugs, and you're like, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go undercover, okay? You're going to go and report back to me, all right? Not the police. No, no, no. What professor is this? In May of 1979, the FBI raided the NYU lab and found two pounds of quaaludes and LSD. And that's how you also know that this is like the dead king. Quaaludes. Do you know what that is? Yeah, I've seen it on, what's it called? Shoot. I've heard of it, yeah. I just can't. Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like a big 70s and 80s drug. Quaaludes. So they were making quaaludes and LSD, all casual, and they discovered that John was laundering money through a corporation called Stevian Expansions. The investigation also found that something. S i m i a n. Oh, I thought you said semen expansion. I was like, no, that's no, that's what I heard. But I wasn't gonna say anything. I was gonna let it keep playing. Just gone with the story. Yeah, not this this dude. What kind of what kind of company is this? That's how they knew it was fake. He made $3,500 selling semen? (laughs) So the investigation also found that some students may have known they were making drugs. It's like up in the air whether or not the students know they were making quaaludes or LSD. Like, I don't know. We were college students not that too long ago. I feel like you know. I feel like they definitely know. Especially like the ones that are smarter. I'm, I swear that he probably handed him the formula and like, looks looks familiar. And it's like, oh, I'm just gonna do it anyways. They protect the college students these days. They don't got common sense, man. They they wouldn't know what it was. I guess it depends what he told them. Because like, if a professor tells you to do something, you're gonna ask questions like, okay, what is this? But if he's like, oh, this is for a test or homework, you're like, okay, I'm just gonna do it. Which also, I feel like it's, if they were, like, doing the drugs themselves, then they probably definitely knew. Do you think he, like, made it, and then he's like, all right, I need to test this batch. Test it's it. a good batch. He's like, hey, kid, can you, like, yeah, I don't even know how you do quaaludes, is it? Is they, it so, some, one of them was testing it, for sure. Someone had to. He wasn't going to test it himself. That's dumb. Somebody was being the test dummy. Is quaaludes a pill? Yeah, it's like a little pill. So John was in, indicted on conducting a cover-up by telling the students involved to say the drugs were being used for research on lemurs. Damn. He's like, it's it's not quite and LSD. It's for the lemurs, bro. It's for the lemurs. If you're going to lie, it's a good lie, man. Good lie. Some of these, like, true crime stories, it's crazy. Like, the people that lie, you're like, that's the dumbest lie in the world. Do you not think that they're going to go check that? 
Also, yeah, the lemurs. It's for the lemurs. So, 50-year-old John was found guilty and sentenced to five years in jail by Chief Judge Charles L. Bryant Jr. Nelson? No. No. The story gets crazier. Because that's where I thought the story was going to end. So, I was like, huh, this is a wild story. Is there enough here for an episode? And when I was researching, like, what story I was going to associate with and why by the episode, I saw this one. And every time I was looking for articles for this one, this other one was coming up about poison Valentine's Day chocolates. And I was like, okay, let's check what that up. Then I find out it's the same person, two different kinds. So then I'm like, what's going on here? So let's get into the second part of John's story here. So in February of 1987, John Bryant Jr. came home to his wife violently ill on the floor experiencing hallucinations and delirium. It was found that Valentine's Day chocolates had been delivered to the house signed by just a question mark. The chocolates were found to be poisoned with atropine and spartanine. She ate, after eating four chocolates and fighting for her life for several days, Virginia Bryant made a full recovery. So like I said, no one dies in this story, which is why it can be classified as a fun true crime story. After investigating, they found that not only was John responsible, and they found this out because he went to jail. And you know what happens when they take you to jail? They fingerprint you. And you know what showed up on those Valentine's Day chocolate boxes? Fingerprints, I know. <laughs> Add those in the completely different, man. I'm sorry, dude. I don't know where you're taking that, but yeah, his fingerprint was on the box of chocolates, and since he went to jail, they had his fingerprint on file, so pretty shut and closed case. And then they probably looked into him and were like, oh, by the way, Judge, you sentenced this guy to only five years in prison. He wasn't in there that long. It wasn't That's like, me out of it. I, I can't believe me long over five years. Well, I mean, he was making drugs. It's, you know, it, it like that horrible. probably made a lot of drugs. It doesn't really seem like that horrible on the card. But that kid, that student that snitched on him, you know that every other student hated him, right? Oh, yeah. They definitely hated him. He either bit off somebody or he gave up some people. He, gave, he did something. That kid that snitched? He invested. He collected oh, the evidence. The, uh, the professor. I feel like you should have gotten more than five years. You you should get more than five years for distributing drugs. Yeah. Especially being caught red-handed. Yes. But he only got five years. And then he got out of prison and poisoned the judge's wife. With no hesitation. After five years years in prison. You weren't in there that long. Why would you then risk? It just seems like so out there. Like, it doesn't seem like that big enough of a crime or that long in jail to then be like, well, now I got to get revenge on this judge. So not only was he responsible for the judge's poison chocolate, but he had sent poison chocolate to several former colleagues. He was kind of like the Unabomber. He was like, I'm out of prison and I'm taking everyone down. That did me dirty. It pissed off a crazy man. So, John died of AIDS and HIV complications in jail in 1992. 
after being sent back for poisoning people. Oh. So after his drug... Okay, so now we're just kind of like... There's like some theories and some things that people question. Like, after his drug conviction, many friends and colleagues stood by him and said that he was innocent. There's people that think he didn't do this. And it was really for the Lima research. Because their theory is that Clifford Jolly, that, that they claim that Jolly set him up out of jealousy, pointing to an instance of someone pouring acid on John's slides of lemur chromosomes. Lemur chromosomes. Which, I kind of like this theory, like some, some like, beef between the professors. So, academic competition goes to the extremes. Academic competition? They're pouring chromosomes on each other. Acid! They poured acid on the chromosomes. They didn't pour the chromosomes on the other. Okay, I okay, gotcha, gotcha. Just like a basic pissing match against the professors turned into one of them dying. Or one of them's, like, veins getting ruined. And I was about to say, he died of AIDS. He didn't necessarily die of AIDS. <laughs> Did you not just hear me? Did you not just hear me say he died of AIDS and HIV complications yeah. in jail in 1992? Oh, my fault. You all know I'm a little deaf. I missed that part. So he died. That's why I said his sexuality mattered. Um, but yeah, so they think Jolly set him up, which I'm, I'm here for that. I want that. I think I believe that. I want to believe that Jolly set him up. Well, I don't trust Jolly either. I don't trust anyone named Clifford Jolly. She sounds like a people. Oh, I, just knowing this dude's whole background, his whole life, I honestly would not put it past him. Yeah, he probably made an episode and then just both end on it together the whole way uh, through. Maybe. But there's also people that believe that John was capable calling him a boy and ex- um, exploiting people's weaknesses just because he could. So, like, he had both, like, people either loved him or hated him. There was, like, no one that was like, yeah, he's a cool guy. So, during the whole drug scandal, like I said, NYU refused to suspend him. They stood by him. They're like, hey, man, now everyone that wants to study anthropology wants to come here. Um... And they wanted to wait before making a decision about one of their valued staff members. So that is the story of the mad professor, John Butner Janish. Great story, kids. Great story. Mind drop. That is probably one of my favorite stories ever. There's a lot of twists and turns in this story. It was mind-blowing absolutely mind i just kept breathing and i was like wait a second did they just say nazis and then you keep reading and you're like wait a second did they just say lemurs and then <laughs> there's nothing about him that makes him seem like just a regular individual uh, but for whatever reason people just continue to trust him throughout his life i will tell say this this, this dude lived like a crazy life he lived an adventure like life at mountain chaos, start to finish chaos. Yeah. He wasted no time. I also feel like he had the arrogance and the confidence, and that's why people trust him. Because he didn't show that crazy. I'm sure he didn't like outwardly show that like crazy side of him. Except when he was working at the the mental hospital, maybe that brought it out. They need to go talk to those people. 
But maybe they just knew what to look for. The others were like, oh, he's a professor. They were like in the mental institute and they looked at the patient and then they looked at him and they're like, I don't really see a difference. It's like, no, it should both really be. You ever think they're tricking it? It's like in the Hawaii Five O episode when Tucker was like, Dr. Jeffries or Professor Jeffrey? He's like, I'm not a professor. So wait, you're not a professor? <laughs> I wasn't this dumb back in college. That's how it is. So yeah, let's, okay, good segue. Let's compare the Hawaii Five O episode to this story because according to the Hawaii Five O, these are not linked. They did not base this episode on this story. I mean, they give like a similar, I guess, ending to it. Yeah, as far as the back end drug part, but definitely not. Which it could, they could be the same as far as like the professor's background. They, they, they held a lot of out from the original story, but I see some similarities. Would have been cool if they involved the the cartel a little bit, because that's where I thought they were going in the show with it. When that, what's that kid's name? Tucker, right? The kid that they pick up? Yeah, Tucker. Yeah, when he said that he didn't want, like, to get killed or whatever, or that they've well, got to protect him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was the road they are about to go down. Yeah. I mean, okay, so, if you had to rate how similar that story was to the TV episode, how would you scale from 1 to 10? How, how close did I get I said probably six or seven on the back end. I'll give you all the six and a half. I'll take it. This is only episode two, baby. Like, not bad. Not too shabby, guys. That was fun. I feel like I'm never going to find a fun story like this one again. Well, this might be my favorite episode ever. We're only two episodes in. You got a week to find a better one, so I'll find Well, I've already found it, and I know what it is. We'll wait till the end of the video. But I, well, I'm not going to tell you anyways, because I never tell you the true crime story I cover. But you know what? I will tell you what episode we're watching, the TV episode we're watching next for next week's episode. You ready? Yes. It is. We're taking it to Bones. Have you ever seen Bones? I've seen Bones. I've seen Bones. I hadn't seen it when I watched this episode. And this episode... Honestly, didn't make me want to watch it at all. <laughs> um, but hopefully the listeners don't hear that and say, "Well, I'm not going to watch it." Then you should still watch it. I'm. Wait, just not a favorite. It doesn't involve bones. Is that what you said? No, the story bones, the TV show season six. Show is bones. Okay. Yeah, it's the US show. It's on Amazon Prime if you want to watch it for free. I don't got that. You got that. Everything. I got your big Yeah, I thought this was a word about. So, Bones, season six, episode 23, the change in the game. Heading to a bowling alley. Okay, okay. So, with that, I'm Kinsey Hughesman, your host. This is Crime on Prime Time. And we are signing out after another great week. Yeah, buddy. Bye. Let me know. Taylor, be back next week. Hopefully.